A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to the Explaining History podcast. And today we're going to look into the uh, complicated relationship between slave labour and uh, arms manufacturing in the Third Reich during the Second World War. We are looking once again at Nicholas Vashtman's excellent book, KL, A History of the Nazi Camps. And um, we are delving into... Uh, kind of a later section of the book. Um, it's really uh, an excellent investment, KL, uh, if you are wanting to know more uh, about the Nazi camps. So um, uh, we're looking at the period um, from uh, mid-1942 or uh, spring 1942 onwards. Uh, Nicholas Fashman writes, Shortly after Heinrich Himmler was put in char- uh, puts him in charge of the KL system, Oswald Pohl... Uh, summoned the top camp SS officials to a major two-day conference as it is at his WVHA headquarters in Berlin-Lichterfeld. Um, Oswald Pohl was the head of the uh, camp network during the Second World War following the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich. So at this meeting, uh, Pohl is pretty uh, unambiguous uh, uh, about his ambitions he basically says that the camp network really is an economic system. And this was a realisation that had uh, come to um, Stalin and the, um, his uh, Gulag uh, empire during the uh, early 1920s, um, and its um, economic potential and its, its economic purpose. The Nazi camp network had always had um, an economic function in it. It had always exploited workers, um, prisoners for their labour. But now there, it had both an economic and a, a war-winning uh, purpose. Um, the immediate goal would be to um, uh, to be to uh, rapidly revamp arms production. By uh, 1942, it was abundantly clear that the uh, arms production uh, system uh, in Germany was in serious crisis. Um, When uh, Albert Speer became uh, Minister for uh, Armaments, uh, when his predecessor, Fritz Toad, had died in a mysterious plane crash, he looked around the factories, he paid spot visits to 
uh, arms producers, and he discovered sometimes factories that weren't operating uh, at all, factories that were empty. He discovered um, different um, production processes for the same vehicle. He discovered that there were far too many different kinds of vehicle being produced, um, too many different uh, types of tank and, and aircraft, uh, artillery piece, and he set about rationalising it all. By 1942, uh, Allied war production had already overtaken uh, German war production, and by 1944, there was no chance that the, the Nazis would have been able to outcompete the outproduce the Allies. However, under Speer, Allied um, uh, military um, uh, material, um, military war production dramatically increased in the years 1942 to 44. So, but it was too little, too late. So that's the context for for what, what Oswald Pohl was saying, what he was saying. It would have been abundantly clear to uh, a Nazi careerist such as he that if you could solve the Fuhrer's supply problems, um, then you were destined for big things. And it was also abundantly clear that the easiest way to do that was to work prisoners to death, work them and extract as much labour from them as possible, because they are the, uh, the resource that is in abundant supply, and it doesn't matter how many you kill. Pohl said the only way to reach this goal would be to drive prisoners until they dropped. Working hours would be unlimited and lunch breaks reduced to the bare minimum. To attain the utmost performance, Pohl concluded, this action must be literally uh, must literally be exhausting. Underscoring the order's importance, Pohl put the responsibility for its implementation onto the shoulders of individual commandants. But his message went beyond economics. He also wanted to impress and intimidate his new subordinates. Facing a gathering of SS camp, uh, camp SS veterans, led by Richard Glucks, and including commandants of all 14 main KL in existence at the time, he was keen to put down an early marker. And although some officials grumbled about his ascent, Pearl swiftly established himself as the overall head of the concentration camp system. So Pearl was a favourite of Himmler's. Um, they wrote regularly to one another, and they regularly met up or talked on their the special phone line um, that most men um, had um, to one another. Um, they had uh, they were both held in great regard uh, by the Führer, and both in turn um, knew that the other um, had the ear of the Führer. Uh, Pohl was um, devoted to Himmler. Uh, he treated him with uh, immense respect and uh, saw him as a, as a mentor. Um, he saw Himmler's uh, requests as being kind of hallowed, kind of godlike edicts, and uh, he attacked anybody who dared to question anything Himmler had to say. Um, Himmler, in this way, um, had managed to hand on the camp network to Pohl but in reality, Himmler was still the master of the camp system because he had it in the hands of such a proven sycophant. Himmler was kept updated um, regularly by Pohl on every major initiative and nothing um, uh, passed his, his gaze. He um, approved um, every major initiative in the camps in the second half of the war 
and he received daily updates about prisoner numbers and prisoner deaths. Um, and he um, was uh, obsessed with details about finding out more. Um, Himmler had a lot of time for camp inspections. Um, he made five trips to the camps in uh, 1942, um, and they had a deep significance to Himmler. Um, it, they weren't simply um, his a kind of like a, a royal procession. They were his way of stamping his personal rule on the camp network, even though he had devolved some responsibility to Pohl. He wanted to show that he was um, all-knowing and all-seeing. He arrived unannounced at Dachau in May 1942, for example, and passed a prisoner detail on a vegetable patch that worked too slowly, to his mind. He jumped out of the car, bawled out the capo, the sentries, and the SS commando leader, and ordered the prisoners to continue until night-time. Um, told that most of the inmates were priests, Himmler exclaimed, These bastards shall work until they collapse. So, as the war continued, Himmler's inspections and, interv- and uh, interventions grew less frequent. So, in 1933 and 1944, uh, he was uh, less present. Um, but as a kind of a proponent of the, pra- of the idea of total war, which was uh, really the kind of the Goebbels idea after uh, the defeat at Stalingrad, that the entire population must now be mobilised in order to see off the threat uh, of uh, the Soviet Union. Um, he gained, um, Himmler gained more and more power, not just within the, the, uh, the SS and the waging of the war, but also within the war uh, economy. Himmler became Reich Minister for the Interior in August 1943 and Commander of the Reserve Army in July 1944, uh, with his new uh, roles absorbing much of his time. But he never really quite looked, uh, overlooked or forgot the camp network, uh, which was his, in, in, in some bleak and macabre way, his kind of first love, really. Um, and he continued to oversee its general direction. Um, and with certain projects, such as human experiments and the exploitation of prisoners for the war economy, um, he became directly involved. So that meant that Himmler was directly connected to questions of slave labour. Um, the development uh, of um, the uh, a new uh, kind of governing system for the camp networks, the WVHA, um, uh, was um, one of the most significant shifts in the war economy um, from 1942 onwards. Um, Nazi leaders in 1942 were looking at, uh, as I previously mentioned, uh, a very uncertain and bleak future. They were looking at um, a war that was largely unwinnable on the Eastern Front uh, and a war that was turning against them in the West. Um, they were looking at uh, a, uh, an enemy in the Soviet Union that they thought would have been easily vanquishable, and it transpires was not. Uh, and they were looking at the possibility of uh, Soviet troops marching on Germany. 
there is a, a, a an epic moment in uh, Anthony Beaver's uh, book Berlin, where he was he said when he was writing his book Stalingrad, he decided he knew that he had to write the Battle of Berlin, because he had had um, a an anecdotal story from a, a German POW who had returned to Germany eventually, who said that they were huddled in the snow. Um, surrounded by Soviet troops and a Soviet um, officer in German pointed to Stalingrad and said, do you see this? This is what we will do to Berlin. And by 1943, the German uh, high command, the, um, uh, the, the, the Nazi coterie surrounding Hitler and a significant percentage of the population was starting to wake up to the fact that this was a significant possibility. Hitler himself was beginning to uh, disappear from uh, public appearances and beginning to um, become a less and less relevant figure. The pressures of the war and his growing ill health were starting to um, eat away his uh, ability to function. Um, and so um, you have... A, uh, a series of um, Nazi lieutenants from Speer to Goebbels to Himmler leaping up to fill the void. And the way that they um, see that as possible is trying to galvanise the entire nation in this, this notion of uh, total war, to um, equip it to um, morally arm the entire nation for the defence of, of the Reich and to, to mobilise the entire nation. So, um, Nicholas Fashman writes, The army had suffered dramatic setbacks in the USSR, war production had stagnated, and Germany faced an open-ended global war. To increase its arms output, the regime took several significant steps, symbolised by two key appointments. In February 1942, Hitler installed his protégé, Albert Speer, as Minister for Armaments and Ammunition, and in March 1942, he named Thuringian Gauleiter Fritz Sauckel, as the new general Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
country for labour mobilisation. Their fierce activism and ebullient rhetoric quickly made both men into major players in the German war economy. This development spelled danger to Heinrich Himmler, who worried that Speer and Saukel uh, would push him aside. To keep his two rivals at bay and away from KL labour, Himmler, in early March 1942, hastily ordered the incorporation of the camp inspectorate into the recently established WVHA. Mindful of appearances, Himmler justified the restructure on economic grounds. Absorbing camps into Poles WVHA would guarantee the utmost exploitation of prisoners, harnessing every last working hour of every person for our victory. Quote, so that's a quote by, by Himmler. Uh, and this persuaded Hitler, um, and it persuaded Hitler to uh, personally uh, agree uh, the expansion of armaments production into the concentration ca- into the concentration camps. So here is part of the kind of the the political manoeuvring that saw uh, the concentration camps and also at least one of the death camps, uh, Auschwitz Birkenau, um, to become part of the uh, the system of uh, arms uh, production. And that meant that workers would be, uh, slave labourers would be uh, exploited for the arms industry. And there are various kind of high-profile examples of this, particularly Pienemunde, where the uh, V1 and later V2 rockets uh, were built and then tested by uh, the rocket scientist Werner von Braun. The historian who's um, had most of an input in the past 20 years on understanding the, uh, the inner workings of uh, the Nazi hierarchy is uh, Ian Kershaw. Um, Ian Kershaw's uh, model are the working towards the Fuhrer model. It basically goes something like this, that um, Hitler was uh, never really spoke in specifics, he always spoke in grand visions, he never wrote anything down, and so um, his uh, co- ambitious careerist um, lieutenants are all spend, are spending a great deal of their time second-guessing what it is the Fuhrer wants, and they devise policy in order to uh, to address this, you know, what they think you know, Hitler wants. Uh, they listen to his uh, speeches and they get an idea of, of how they think they can please him because they know that all career advantage comes from Hitler. Uh, and so they then begin to uh, compete with one another because Hitler has deliberately uh, divided roles between his lieutenants so they will fight amongst one another uh, and perhaps not organise against him. And then he um, ensures uh, that they um, come to him uh, in order for him to give the, the say-so to their policy ideas. Hitler very often, Hitler wouldn't read things, he's not particularly interested in paperwork. He would often sort of wave certain things away uh, when his um, uh, personal adjutant uh, would bring them, uh, Heinz Heinrich Lammers would bring things to him, or he would make give, give a grunt and or suggest, yeah, no, um, without really giving much of an indication. 
So policies uh, could be waved under his nose that he is he has a rough idea of and isn't really very interested in. And there is a, an incentive consistently on his lieutenants to come up with ideas that they think will please him. And these, over time, become more and more radical. And this is a classic example of the working towards the Fuhrer idea of uh, Himmler essentially saying, let's harness the entire camp system to work them as uh, armament slaves. The WVHA, which is the the SS main administrative organisation, the main administrative office uh, that the camp network was subsumed into, um, was a a huge bureaucracy. Um, It had 1,700 officials in five departments, and those officials oversaw tens of thousands of uh, free uh, and slave workers uh, across Europe. Um, the remit um, went beyond, obviously, the camp network, and it was the way in which the entire uh, SS empire uh, was uh, managed and administrated. However, um, all departments had close links to the concentration camps. Um, Office Group A dealt with personnel matters, budget and payrolls, uh, and with the transfer of funds to individual camps. Among the duties of Office Group B was the supply of food and clothing to the camps. Office Group C, meanwhile, was involved in the construction projects, such as the gas chambers and crematoria in Auschwitz. Uh, it was led by Ober, uh, SS Oberführer Hans Kammler, uh, who was uh, poised to become um, one of the dominant figures in the camp system. As for Office Group W, headed by Pearl himself, um, it, off, it oversaw SS enterprises such as the German Earth and Stone Works, um, which uh, continued to rely on uh, slave labour. Uh, these, of course, uh, were the, uh, the brick and stone factories, um, particularly at Mauthausen. Um, at its height in 1943-44, the SS economy had uh, within it uh, 33 um, different uh, companies, um, different um, sort of quasi-private, uh, quasi-state-owned uh, institutions, which gradually became, uh, in, in, in large part, a means for siphoning money uh, into uh, SS pockets. There was an immense amount of graft and corruption throughout the whole um, SS uh, empire. The, the administrative uh, heart of the chaos system was Office Group D, uh, the former camp inspectorate, which was still based at uh, Oriannenburg, um, where the, uh, the famous uh, the disastrous um, SS uh, brickworks were, uh, which were uh, epic failures uh, for, um, uh, for the most part. Um, and the fact that the, the, the as Rashman puts it, the, the beating heart of the KR system was the former camp inspectorate um, shows that there's a lot of continuity in the camp system. Um, compared to the other uh, officers, uh, Office Group D was pretty small in uh, early September 1944. It had no more than 105 employees, and bear in mind, out of the whole WVHA, just to recap, there were 1,700 
officials. So it, it occupies bureaucratically a fairly small slice. Um, amongst them were uh, 19 officers and the rest were um, auxiliary staff like uh, secretaries, phone operators, caretakers and canteen staff and, and, and drivers. Uh, Camp SS cars had their own registration numbers running from SS-16 to SS-16500. Um, the atmosphere inside the, uh, the T-building um, where the WHVA, uh, WVHA was uh, established, reflected uh, the kind of the values of the camp. It was uh, run on sort of very martial and, and military lines. Um, the officers normally wore boots and uniforms to work, but they put in um, long hours from uh, six or seven uh, to, until six or seven in the evening, uh, with some working well into the night. Some officers uh, slept in private rooms in the tea building, probably after a meal and some drinks in the local Waffen SS mess hall. Um, and like most concentration camps, the KR headquarters were almost exclusively a male workplace. Um, in September 1944, just one woman, Frau Bader, um, was listed amongst the staff members working as a personal assistant, and she was the only civil, um, civilian employee a non-SS member. So the uh, the camp itself, the, the military values of the camp, spilled out into uh, the, the bureaucracy. Uh, in a previous discussion of the camps, uh, what was abundantly clear when, when we, we looked at it was that um, the, the camp SS were viewed as being uh, sort of the, the inferior cousins of, for example, the Waffen SS, the, uh, the the battlefield SS, if you will, uh, and the camp SS excelled in their sadism, excelled, uh, you know, it went far, far further in the cause of kind of uh, brutal violence uh, in the camps in order to kind of compensate for this, and they um, were uh, they 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 kind of acted out. The, the militarism that they tended not to kind of fully uh, participate in. Um, and the camps were often seen as a kind of a, a backwater. Well, when the war, um, at the height of the war, there was a desperate desire for the camps, for the WBHA, um, for the, uh, for, um, the uh, people who were... At the in the, the former camp inspectorate to try to prove themselves as as much as as possible um, and to uh, use every means they could to wage their own personal war on the prisoners um, which obviously we'll uh, look at in in due course but I guess the the interesting thing here is the fact that the um, War creates the conditions, creates the political conditions for uh, further um, expansion of slave labour and the further uh, co-opting of prisoners for the war economy. And it creates opportunities for careerists to seize what they see as a, a kind of a, a, a useful resource in order to please the Fuhrer and in order to try to help dig Germany out of the mess uh, that uh, the country's got itself into 
uh, during the war, or, or in fact that the regime has dragged the country into during the war. Anyway, I hope you find that interesting, and thanks very much for listening. Uh, and uh, remember, we'll be catching up with part two of David Barrett's interview uh, next week uh, on uh, 140 Days to Hiroshima. And um, thanks again to everybody that supports the podcast. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, and you can find out more at our Explain, uh, the Explaining History Facebook group, or you can check us out on Patreon. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. 